Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikuma. With me is Benjamin Solak welcoming you guys to the Watchers of Wednesday edition of the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. It is the day where Ben and I really dive into the tape of some specific guys that we were watching over the previous week in the NFL. But before we get there, we got a reminder from our good friends over at Visa who are telling us to help support our local businesses. Whether it's corner stores, coffee shops, favorite local shops, whatever it is. Local businesses have always been there on your team supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's our turn to be there for them. Next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay contactless with Visa to help support your local communities. Because where and how you shop absolutely matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Did I mess up there? Is that why you were saying something? What were you about to say? No, I, you said contact less. Like it was like a cool, just, you know, pacing. I don't know. I liked it. No, I just, I got to give it engaged. a little bit of inflection. You know, we're reading ads out here, but I want people to take it seriously. Support the way, communities, I tried folks. To, I tried to pay contactless at the gas pump. Which, which, you that... have, which you have said before on this podcast that you have a fear of. Like it is one of right. your fears. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to pay because it's the gas pump, right? So if I screw up, nobody knows. Right, nobody right, there, right, right. There's nobody. Pump. There's nobody behind right, you. So, like, get out of the yeah. way. Right. It, the the screen said, "Insert chip card mm-hmm. or tap for contactless pay." Yeah, these said, are this these is are my options. moment. Yeah, there you go. And I tap for contactless pay, and then you know what the screen said? Get insert out of the chip way. Card. It said insert chip card. You fucking <laughs> moron. I didn't say the second part. But it said insert chip card. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about. It man. might as well. <laughs> I could see you at a gas pump just like looking around and, and whoever is next to you in the gas pump, whether it's across from you or literally to your right or left, you just going, you just saying to them loudly, this is what I'm talking about. You know that knowing James full Franco well gift, that they don't kind of like sticks both of his hands out and makes a face. Yeah, right. That's a, I, I went to this, the, the thing. I was like, what? This is a contactless thing. These are my fears. They are well grounded in reality and reasonable. Well, I remember when we were at the combine this past year in February. Oh no, what's this? You, you and I went back and forth doing that like hands up gift thing. Like we had, we were doing that like consistently throughout the week because you started doing it and then I thought it was funny. So I just started copying you, but I have a picture remember of you at the breakfast place that we went to. You have it. Half the premium slack has it. I'll tweet anything, some random thing. I get some random dude in my mentions with that picture of me, (laughs) which I have 75 (laughs) chins. It's a horrible photo. It's pretty funny. I think you look great, friend. Okay, we've got some uh, some some quarterbacks that we're getting to, some offensive schemes, some defensive schemes. I'm very excited to dig into this Watchers Wednesday podcast because it does. It gives us a chance to really get to the finer details of the game of football, going beyond the box score to uh, you know bring up the broadcasting headline cliche. But Ben, I'll let you start first because you've got three topics that I'm honestly really excited to just hear and listen as well as engage with in conversation because I really liked what you're bringing to the table this week. Where do you want to start? Thanks, man. 
Um, yeah, so last week I started with we all criticized the Ravens' defense for not being built to stop Mahomes. And I challenged that notion by saying I really don't think any defense is built to stop Mahomes. Then the Patriots came out and generally had a pretty good day the very next week against Mahomes. And the Patriots have historically been one of the better teams stopping Mahomes on defense. Uh, as Steve Palazzolo of PFF pointed out, uh, Mahomes finished with a 44.9 PFF grade despite having a pass rating of 113.6. He had multiple turnover-worthy plays. His two touchdowns were both tap passes, which is to say that while the box score looked good, and obviously the Chiefs put, what, they had 19 offensive points. It did a quiet outing, but they still they, they scored enough to win. Uh, Mahomes really wasn't the genesis of a ton of tremendous plays, as he often is. Uh, PFF also, this was before last night's game. No, wait, what's today? The today is sixth? the sixth. Yeah, so before before Monday's game, uh, his career PFF grades against the Patriots have been 63.8, and the rest of his PFF grades have been 95.0. So regardless of what you think about PFF grades overall, something the Patriots are doing is affecting the way that Mahomes is, is performing. It's very clear. When you look at it, you see quality man coverage, you see cutting crossers with low-hole defenders, and particularly against Mahomes, more so than against other quarterbacks, you see drop eight coverage from the Patriots, which is where they're only rushing three, they're dropping eight. The objective of the three rushers isn't so much to sack the quarterback as it is to cordon him in, contain him, yeah, suffocate the pocket, and then when he breaks, break with him, which is exactly what the Chiefs defense did right. against Lamar last week, where it was just, we're going to take away your first read, take away your second read, make you a little bit jumpy. And once you start moving and your offensive linemen don't realize you're moving, that's when we're actually going to really activate our pass rush. Right. This was very effective against Mahomes. There's no arguing that. It was one of Mahomes' quietest nights. Once again, I am here to tell you that the Patriots' defense is not built to stop Mahomes. The Patriots' defense is just good. Like, this, like, like, like the same notion that like the Baltimore defense, oh, they need to build it to stop Mahomes. Well, you can't really build a defense to stop Mahomes. Applies to the, the Patriots, which is to say the Patriots are not really good at man cover and, and you know are willing to play drop eight to stop Mahomes. It's what they do against everybody. It's what they're best at. It's what their defense is good. Their defense is a aggressive defense that is no not like like as Bill Belichick very famously told J Chad Johnson, one double eighty five. I'm going to cover all the other receivers and I'm gonna put two guys on you. He's doubled Travis Kelsey for years. Right. Right. Like, right. And, 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 you know, playing cover one with a low hole defender, it's what he does against pretty much every good offense. And like, mm -hmm. you know, all, all the bad offenses too. Cause it's easy. It's man. Like it's, you know, it's, it's Stephon Gilmore and Sammy Watkins. It's, it's a uh, Jonathan Jones. Cause he's runs a four, three on Tyreek Hill. I got a safety. I got two safeties on Travis Kelsey. Choose who to throw it to man. Like, uh, like there's no defense that's built to stop Patrick Mahomes. The Ravens defense is typically very disruptive. And that particularly is struggling against Mahomes because he's so cool under pressure. Right. The Patriots right. defense, which has, you know, never prioritized high caliber, you know, one gapping, three techs, under tackle, five technique edge, little rush, wide nine. They've never ever done this ever. Did not like suddenly see Mahomes in Kansas City and go, oh, you know what we should do is not rush the passer and just be really good in coverage. This has always been the plan. And it's good against Mahomes. Let us not forget that Lamar Jackson ate this defense alive last year because it's not as good against a player like Lamar because mm -hmm. what happens in man coverage? Players turn their backs to the quarterback. Right, you got you got Lamar no eyes on, on Lamar. Exactly. 
So, you know, build to stop Mahomes. Now, it's good. It's a good defense. It's a really good defense. It's got weaknesses. It's got strengths. Ravens defense, really good defense. It's got weaknesses. It's got strengths. You really don't build a defense. to st- like, like, obviously, you, you calibrate the players you acquire and the schemes you run to your division. And you certainly keep, like, if you're a top AFC contender, you care about the other ones. So, absolutely, there were meetings where everybody in the AFC sat down and said, this will be our plan against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense. But this idea that you build a defense to stop Mahomes, I just really don't think it holds water. I think it's about allocating your guys in the right spots really with different quarterbacks and with Mahomes, dude, I mean, you, you almost have to, like you were kind of saying there, kind of like keep yourself in the game with how you deal with the pass rush or more of the containment of the pocket. Whereas you're dropping more guys in coverage and kind of saying, Hey, Mahomes hit a perfect pass on us. You know what I'm saying? Like hit this perfect pass. And if you could do it through double coverage or through our best matchup that we can give you and all that kind of stuff, look, hat tip to you. We're doing exactly what you can because to your point there, Mahomes is one of those guys who he's super cool and collected under pressure. And that's not often the script for a lot of quarterbacks, right? It's often, hey, pressure him. Uh, Disruption is production. Get him out of the pocket. They have a much less chance to get the ball where they want to go when that is the case. So what do teams often do? They will throw more resources at the pocket. They will try to overwhelm the offensive line or get a blitzer coming free through the B gap or off the edge or, you know, a corner blitz, something like that, where you're just, you're trying to throw more guys at the pocket to make quarterbacks more nervous so that you can force Aaron throws. That doesn't exactly, that doesn't exactly work with Mahomes. So instead, I feel like just from listening to kind of what you were saying there, they instead allocated their resources to being more in the coverage area, telling Mahomes, hey, we'll give you more time. You know, we're not going to like Todd Bowles or 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 uh, Mike Tomlin blitz the crap out of you over here because that's just going to make us look bad in coverage. Somebody's going to get open with all the receiving weapons they have. But instead, we'll kind of sit back and we'll say, hey, we're going to play pretty sound discipline coverage and we'll make you hit a perfect throw on us. And if you do, good for you. But I say all that to say, how many picks did the Patriots drop the other night? Right, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they forced Mahomes Which, to make perfect throws, and sometimes he didn't. And honestly, the Pats mm-hmm. could have really capitalized on that even more than they did. Right. Which I think that like this this is a deep cut. This is just me with a thought, and I don't know if it's real, and I don't know if it's no, not. No, this is the perfect place for it. I won't tell anybody, man. You you your right. secret's safe, right? Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. The best defense against Mahomes might be pissing him off. Right, like, why wouldn't Mahomes get impatient faster than other quarterbacks? It's usually a lot easier for him. The dude practices behind the back passes to make his own life interesting. Right, he's a cheat code. <laughs> right, if you like, think of it like, like you know, nobody would describe Mahomes as a nickel and dime quarterback who will take what the defense gives him. Right, and usually his his you know fifty five yard yeets down the field are Yeet. plus plays because he's got such a good arm and he's got such good skill position players. But you can and I think like if 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 you want to give an anecdotal reasoning, an anecdotal cause behind what was seen on Monday night, which was Mahomes inaccurate attempting windows into uh, throws into windows he shouldn't be attempting. I mean, like, he probably is super pissed when he plays the Patriots. And it's just like, I'm just sitting back here. Nobody's even trying to tackle me anyway. And there's freaking eight people back there. Mm-hmm. I can't see anybody. Like, you know, like, it's like, he probably does, you know, still a young passer, used to airing it out, get frustrated when a game script, you know, kind of forces him to 
throw first read quickly or throw check down or scramble with his legs. Like that probably is boring. Uh, at least like, you know, when it's a pressure, like when, because the Chargers defense played well against him because Nick Bosa was, or excuse me, Joey Bosa was just waxing dudes. At least that's probably interesting because it's like high adrenaline. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. ah, the rush, I made. Yeah. This is just like, right. So, this is a slow knife, right? This is just a, 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 a devastating and, and excruciating suffocation of what's usually a very spread out and high octane offense. You think Mahomes likes throwing two touch touchdown passes? They probably hated it. But we wanted to, like, you know, <laughs> dot Travis Kelsey in the back pylon. Sure. So probably, you could probably piss him off a little bit, and that's how you get bad decisions out of him. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny. And I just, I appreciate this so much about Belichick because it's almost like an obvious, right? I mean, he's doubling 85. He's doubling Ocho Cinco. He's doubling Travis Kelsey. That's just like what he's doing. But, you know, we say this all the time. Can never have too many pass rushers, right? It's all about disruption. It's all about getting to the quarterback. It's all about bringing people down. And, and Bill Belichick's over here thinking, oh, "I ain't gonna work. We're just gonna drop people back." You know, you gotta you gotta just look at it. And it it, it seems like after the fact, it seems so simple. You know, it, it just seems like you watch how good Patrick Mahomes is off script, and you go, "Yeah, why would we want to for? Why would we want to throw extra resources just to put Patrick Mahomes in a gamer?" comfortable, like you said there, high adrenaline situation, which he clearly thrives on. Then all of a sudden, we just have less resources on the back end to try to defend from it. And Bill Belichick just kind of looks at it a different way, and and I, I appreciate so much how Belichick is able to step back, like take a step back every single week with every single opponent that they have and really just come up with the best best game plan for what they're doing. That's why he's the best. That's why he's the best at what he does. Good corners help, but then again, he's also the GM. Well, of course. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Head coach GMs. It's a sour week for that. Don't bring it up. But I, say, I mean, like, I think more teams should really follow this model, man. It seems to be working great for the Patriots. Anyway, what's your first note? My first note is is about Dwayne Haskins, and, and I wanted to write about Haskins this week, and I really wanted to devote a lot of time to it because we heard the report from, I believe it was Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, who said, hey, if Haskins does not play well— this past it was before this past week against the Baltimore Ravens he could be benched and I was like man man you know I I wasn't that high on Dwayne Haskins when he was coming out um I felt like it would be quite the project for him I wondered if he was going to be able to make it in the NFL just because you know he's coming from an Ohio State system I felt like things were very easy for him I, I wondered if a team would give him that long of a chance but even I was just like this is early I felt like this is early and so what I did is I went back and I watched every throw he has made this year. And I also... Every throw? Yes, every throw that he has made this year. In practice as well. In his backyard as well. On and Let me just say, his son can't cash worth a lick now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have to give a background too because this is something that you and I talked about and it's something that I wrote about. Dwayne Haskins was a one-year starter at Ohio State. Started for 14 mm. games. Okay, redshirted his first year. He was JT Barrett's backup in his redshirt freshman season. His only action with Ohio State was that 2018 year. Now, it was a fantastic year. He put up great numbers. But let's face it. Look at the weapons he was throwing to. Okay, uh, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, KJ Hill, Chris Olave, running backs, Mike Weber, J.K. Dobbins. You know, like, it's very, there's a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of talented players. 
Right. Liquid. I mean, the dude threw underneath Mesh to Paris Campbell. I'm not exaggerating. 150 times. Right. Right. And and it turned into a record-setting bowl-winning year for Ohio State. Look at the conference they were in. There are not many teams, if any at all, that can consistently talk that mess, talk that Big Ten mess. Let's go. Go toe for toe with Ohio State. They are more talented year in and year out most of the time than almost every team in the Big Ten. So Dwayne Haskins. For as much as I think that, yeah, I do think that he grew up a little bit during his time at Ohio State, and I'm not saying that he didn't have to work hard for his accomplishments. When you have that much superior talent around you, it makes it kind of easy. And it it, it does not force you to progress the way it might for other quarterbacks in other situations. So Dwayne then comes to Washington, gets drafted in April. At that point in time, Jay Gruden is his head coach. We learned months later that that pick with Dwayne Haskins at number 15 overall in the 2019 NFL draft, eh, probably Jay Gruden was not in the driver's seat with that one. It's mm-hmm. probably Bruce Allen, who is the president of football operations, and then the owner, Dan Snyder, who were more infatuated with getting Haskins on board. So they drafted. Jay Gruden's his head coach. Jay Gruden's an offensive mind. He had his hands on Haskins for the first five weeks of the season. The offseason and then the first five weeks of the season, in which Haskins did not start. When Jay Gruden refused to play Haskins and went 0-5, they fired him. Then they get um, Callahan as the interim head coach, Kevin O'Connell, the offensive coordinator. Now he is the main guy who is in Haskins' ear, but that only lasts another two and a half months because the entire coaching staff was fired. Ron Rivera then gets in there, and Scott Turner is now his new offensive coordinator. So in Eight months, the first eight months of Dwayne Haskins being in the NFL, he has then had three different offensive command voices in his head. Three different mm-hmm. ones in eight months. We're not even talking about we're not even a talking year. About, we're not even talking about a Marcus Mariota having a different offensive coordinator every year kind of a thing. We're talking three and eight months. It hadn't even been a year yet. So now you don't even get three seasons in eight months. But I guess it depends on the eight months. Anyway, this isn't important. This is true. Uh, so now we go to this season. Guess what? Haskins is still struggling. He's still learning it. But you also got to look at his supporting cast. It is Terry McLaurin and... Yep. It's Terry <laughs> How McLaurin. How dare you disparage Antonio Gibson in this way? It is... It, listen. It's Terry McLaurin. Mm-hmm. It is Dontrell Inman. Who went undrafted? Logan Thomas, baby. Steven Sims Jr., who went undrafted. Isaiah Wright, who went undrafted. Logan Thomas, who's a former quarterback. As for their running back room, which is often the friend of young quarterbacks in the NFL, their starting running back, who they wanted to be their starting running back going into the year, was Darius Geis. He was released for the team after he was arrested for domestic violence charges. The guy who led the team in rushing the last two years, Adrian Peterson, gets cut before the season starts. So instead, they're going with Antonio Gibson, who I like, who is a nice offensive player, but he had 33 total carries during his tenure at at, at, uh, Memphis because he was a wide receiver running back hybrid. He had 33 carries. Mm -hmm. On top of all of that, the left side of Washington's offensive line without Trent Williams is bad. The middle, center, and right guard combo is okay. And then Morgan Moses is actually good as a right tackle. So they have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, one of the worst supporting casts in the NFL when it comes to the passing room, and then one of the greenest running backs starting in the NFL. 
all of a sudden we're supposed to say that Dwayne Haskins is supposed to like be progressing at the same level right. as some of these other guys. And I just think that's really unfair. Now, all of that to say, I wanted to make sure that I got all that context out there. After watching all of Haskins' passes, he is not where he needs to be mentally. He needs to take a big leap forward when it comes to mental processing. There are times he just does not see the field fully the way he really needs to. And you see a lot of those tendencies that were tendencies at Ohio State that are now crutches in the NFL. Mainly, Scott Turner's dialing up a lot of mesh concepts, a lot of crossing routes, a lot of easy stuff, some things that he really thrived with, like you said, with Paris Campbell when he was at Ohio State. He's easy to read those. And he's also easy to read the in-breaking, quick slant kind of routes that he deals to Terry McLaurin, who's really been able to take some of these passes and get a lot of yards after catch with him. And that's been the main component of Washington's offense, to be honest. But outside of that, he's just not seeing things the way that he needs to. There are times when he had multiple guys open, or it was clear that teams were were being over-aggressive to the stuff that was in front of them, the short stuff, and they were over-committing to that when all all Haskins had to do is then pop it over the linebacker level or over the shoulder of a guy who was doing a deep crosser in main coverage, and it would have been a bomb and a first down, and the drive would have kept going, and Haskins just, he, he just doesn't see it right now. The mental processing has to take a big leap from him. I'm not trying to make an excuse from him in that regard, but we also got to give him time. People are talking about, oh, he's, you know, he's, uh, I'm already writing him off. He's already trash. You should bench him. Bench him for who? Okay. First of all, bench him for who? Kyle Allen? Alex Smith, baby. What is Kyle Allen going to do for your team? Alex Smith's not going to play. He's he's not going to play. Unless it's a victory formation, I really don't think that Alex Smith is going to play. I, I think it'd be a cool moment, but I also think that it might injure him, and I don't want to see that happen because I like Alex Smith. So right. outside of that, Kyle Allen? What are you going to play Kyle Allen and hope you get maybe one or two more wins? I understand it's the NFC East and you're only a game back of, you're less than, you're half a game back of being in the division lead, but you got to be realistic with what 2020 is. 2020 is the year to fully devote to Dwayne Haskins to see if he improves enough under one offensive coordinator to see if he is worth investing in for the next season because Washington should be bad enough to where they have a chance to take a quarterback in the 2021 NFL draft. Do not ruin that. And don't ruin the thought process of giving Haskins less than a fair shake because I really do think that he deserves it. He's absolutely got to play better. You saw that littered throughout his film in the first four games that I watched this season. There are times when he's got to be better with accuracy, but mainly it's a lot with decision-making and managing the pocket. But I really do think that he still deserves the rest of this year to prove truly whether or not he is worth investing in or not. That's my Dwayne Haskins take after really taking a deep dive on him. It's it's always an interesting chicken and egg when you say, do you want to first build the house? Wide receivers, tight ends, running back, play designers, offensive line, and then put the quarterback in it? Or do you first want to make sure you've got the quarterback before you start bringing in big money free agents at tackle and at wide receiver and at running back? That development that growth they they, there's a a spiraling effect there there's a a circling effect there where the better you get quarterback the easier it is to figure out what good players you have right like i don't think everybody was like wow the jacksonville offensive line is playing really solid and wow dj chark is a really exciting young wide receiver until gardner Minshew came in and Minshew just maximized what was there in a way that like nick Foles wasn't the way blake bortles wasn't it's like oh shoot like this line's actually a little better than we thought dj chark's a little better than we thought 
And then to what degree is the line a chark, accounting for the fact that Minshew was a sixth rounder because he's not a tremendous athlete, doesn't have a great arm, but those guys are good enough around him, right? There's there's a, like I said, there's it's a two-way street. The Washington football team clearly does not have the infrastructure right now to support the development of a rookie quarterback. While I do not think it is definitive, I do not think it is inarguable that Dwayne Haskins has no chance to grow into a starting quarterback. You see what I'm saying? On that two-way street, the only thing I'm positive about is that the, the infrastructure is not good enough yet. So I'm 100% there with you, right? I think that you want to keep Dart throwing at quarterback. You don't want to write off improving your odds at quarterback if that opportunity falls into your lap. It's like right. we've talked about. The team's got an opportunity for Trevor Lance, an opportunity for Justin Fields. There are very <laughs> you few said, quarterbacks. You, said, you just said Trevor Lance, by the way. I just had it. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just pay, making the podcast go faster, brother. People understand. They're with it, me. It's, just, it's just Trey Lance, but with straight, long, blonde hair. <laughs> oh, wow. Not a look. Um <laughs> Not it would clash with the, the bison uniform, man. It wouldn't work. This is true. Um, right. All the like the point here being, if the Washington football team has an angle on significantly improving their odds that they're going to get a franchise quarterback, they're going to take it. But at the same time, Haskins is still a warranted to dart throw because you have not seen him in a context yet that would support the development of a young quarterback. Right. I don't. I didn't love Haskins as a prospect. I don't love what I've seen from him. But there's still an, an avenue there. And and you want to keep throwing those darts that avenue for as long as you haven't got that problem solved yet. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I'm definitely at that point with Haskins. I just, you know, that Kyle Allen's not your franchise quarterback. Dwayne Haskins might be. So I mean, like, what are you losing this year by potentially making the switch to a more familiar guy with Kyle Allen, who knows Ron Rivera, who knows Scott Turner? Okay, like I said, one or two more wins. Who cares? You're hurting yourself at that point, anyways. You know, you've got to let Dwayne Haskins ride this thing out for. Um, really the first time in a while. And, and the supporting cast isn't going to get better this year, but maybe he will. And I think that those are the snaps that are going to be really important for him for the next 12 games they play. Mm-hmm. Um, the single most important thing to me, last yes. note, yep, yep. is with a player like Haskins, you got to get protection right. He's not a mover in the pocket. He is a pocket passer. First priority if I'm in Washington, we're going to get protection correct. Yeah, you definitely got to do that. He's also... He's too statue right now. There are so many times where, and it was hilarious because the guy that we're, that I'm talking about next it is Joe Burrow. Uh, I'm going to get to one of your points before we get to Joe Burrow, but watching Dwayne Haskins and then watching Joe Burrow navigate a pocket was hilarious to me because Dwayne Haskins was like almost like a, a rooted tree sometimes when he just would oh, not dude, move. Going back to the Ohio State days, man. Right, to and from in the pocket. He, he just wouldn't move. He was just standing tall, and that was it. Like if pressure came in his face, that was it. He was not moving. Joe Burrow, that man, it's, it, it's like he's just got this sixth sense about pressure and guys coming in around him and he's got eyes all over his head and he's just so smooth when avoiding pressure and climbing the pocket and getting out of things. And so, But I'll get more to Burrow in a second. Just like we talked about Washington needing to build around Dwayne Haskins, you got to build your correct diet day in and day out. <gasps> With built, out of 10. with built Bar Protein Bars. Folks, there are amazing, 18 amazing new flavors that you could choose from. Well, actually, the six newest ones that they have introduced recently, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry, lemon almond cheesecake, folks, carrot cake, and then apple almond crisp, they are all still in that same family of not too many calories, but plenty of protein in every single protein bar. All the nutrients that you're going to need, they're great for starting off the day, 
in the middle of the day, you know, as a meal replacement, you get one or two in there. You could really fill up your macros that way or after a workout, whatever you need, man. Built Bar Protein Bars have you covered. They are great for your diet in almost every single way. Go to BuiltBar.com. You can use the promo code Locked On. That's all caps, Locked On, no space. So it's Lockadone. Locking down. And you will get $10 off your next order. Head to BuiltBar.com. Go check out all the flavors they have, all the options that they have for building your own Built Bar box. And use that promo code Locked On, no spaces, all caps, Locked On for $10 off over at BuiltBar.com. Ben, what's your second point? What are we talking today? The next-gen stats of NFL... Uh, that NFL produces has a stat that's called aggressiveness for quarterbacks. And that aggressiveness stat, uh, it, it encapsulates throws that were made into tight coverage throws that had, uh, that were further down the field. It's basically a percentage of tight window passing attempts, right? Tight window is something I've charted for contextualized quarterbacking for a couple years now. I think tight window throws are really interesting because sometimes it tells you something about the receivers a quarterback's working with. Sometimes it's the scheme. Sometimes it's his play style. It can point to different things. And when you go through the film and you see the numbers, you kind of have to riddle it out. The least aggressive passer so far this year has been Teddy Bridgewater, uh, which makes a ton of sense. The Joe Brady offense is all about underneath spacing right now. They have a, a lot of really good yak, quick, underneath target players right now and Robbie Anderson Curtis Samuel DJ Moore and then Christian McCaffrey of course and he was healthy makes right. sense the second passer and this is nuts is Russell Wilson Russell Wilson who's like chucking more deep balls than anybody else he's is the least them. aggressive second least in terms of throwing into tight windows so if you want to talk about an offense that's creating space downfield Russ baby I mean so there's there, that's that's great decision making by Russ that's Great receivers, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. But it also, I mean, it belongs to Schottenheimer. If you're able to open big throwing windows, 15 yards, 20 yards, and obviously with Metcalf, freaking 50 yards down the field, it's huge. It makes like, you know, the, he's he's throwing these downfield passes. I don't think he's thrown an interceptable ball yet. I'm pretty sure he's thrown like as many touchdowns as he has in completions and 30-plus air-yard throws or something like that. So crazy for Russ. But putting that to the side, the third passer in aggressiveness is Kyler Murray. And much like Teddy Bridgewater, Kyler Murray's offensive designs with cliff kingsbury in arizona are predicated on quick underneath space there's a lot of screen throws there's a lot of of quick slant quick spacing reads there's a lot of half field stuff with motion working against leverage okay that's well and good but kyler murray went 24 for 31 against the carolina panthers 75 <laughs> percent completion rate yeah he threw three touchdowns right for 133 yards <laughs> 133 yards on 31 attempts That's is a feat. four point. That is a feat. It, it's 4.2 yards per attempt, and it's 5.5 yards per completion. Do you have any idea how hard it is to only pick up five and a half yards per completion? Really think about that. Complete pass, five and a half yards. 4.2 yards per attempt is 5. like 5.9 yards per carry. 4.2 yards per attempt. I'd be wanting like my running back to have a little bit right. more than that. Exactly. The Browns are averaging 5.9 yards per carry. Kyler Murray averaged 5.5 yards per completed pass. So the Browns running offense would have done better for you than Kyler Murray throwing the football against Carolina. When you watch the film, there's a couple of reasons why. One, Murray missed some open throws downfield. He continues to be a bad intermediate window thrower. They're giving him deep digs, and he just cannot get them. First throw of the game is just a wide open deep dig to Larry Fitzgerald, and he's late to see it. 
so he doesn't get to throw the first window, like as Fitzgerald crosses behind a, a linebacker. And instead of waiting for the second window, he just tries to layer it in like directly over the only cover defender in the middle of the field. If he was just earlier to that or more patient to it after being late to it, it's a much easier throw. But he just tries to layer this. So it's a very difficult throw that doesn't have to be that hard. And when you watch what happened after those first couple of drives, he missed that one. He missed a, a, a deep one to Andy Isabella on the left sideline. He had a, a, a Christian Kirk curl route that he was late to, which allowed a pass breakup. Cliff Kingsbury kind of turtled and was just like, all right, we got to get some completions. We got to get the offense going. We're going to throw everything three yards from the line of scrimmage. So it's not all on Kyler. But the Cardinals have a problem right now, which to me is they're a little bit too impressed with their athletes and their their many wide receivers and their ability to create after the catch and their ability to, to get these big cushions. And, and you know, Phil Snow running the 3-3-5 in Carolina was very pleased to give them eight yards of cushion on the outside and let them throw screens to Larry Fitzgerald and DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to take their aggressive safeties. They've got a big corner, Russell Douglas. They're going to close, rally, tackle, and try to win the, the nickel and dime game. And they did. You know, once the Cardinals got one mistake, once they took one sack, because that offensive line was really struggling, you're behind the sticks and that model doesn't work anymore. So Phil Snow was very happy to let them play that game. The Cardinals have two options here. One you got to sit down with Murray and say, listen, we we have to figure out how to get some bigger chunk passing games in the middle of the field. Because right now, Murray just is struggling. Intermediate throws. What what uh, You'll hear them called two throws, right? A one throw is like velocity, straight on a line, throw that ball. And then a two throw is a layered throw over the first level defenders, but in front of the second level defenders. And he just does not have that in the arsenal. It's not in the quiver right now. So either we need to figure out how to get you better looks there, or... We, as a as a entire team, wide receiver, quarterback, and play caller, need to become more comfortable with the idea that we have a top wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, and he can pretty much moss any cornerback in the league, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're just going to throw it to him. That's going to be a decision that we have to make in humility as a coaching staff, that for everything we can scheme up, for all the space that we can open— we have an extremely talented player at wide receiver sure. and one of the best young deep passers in the league because Murray struggles intermediate, but he is a beautiful deep ball passer. And sometimes we're just going to put DeAndre Hopkins against De- Dante Jackson. And we're going to say, DeAndre Hopkins, we gave you $75 million. Yeah, like go beat him. Right. You're, we're just going to go ask you to be more talented than that guy. We're not going to big brain this. We're not going to. You know, like, you know, uh, air raid offense, right? Like Graham Harrell did a cool breakdown for uh, for Big Noon Saturday for Fox. And he said, it's all about grass. You just work routes to grass and you throw routes to grass. They did that against Carolina and it neutered their offense. Carolina was very pleased that they did. At some point, you're just going to have to be comfortable throwing a contested catch, throwing a tight window and letting not only Hopkins, but a good big slot in Larry Fitzgerald, a good slot receiver in Christian Kirk make a play for you. Uh, so I think Arizona has proven that Cliff Kingsbury system works and that Kyler Murray is an NFL quarterback. Now it's about calibration. Now sure. it's about uh, maximizing. There's, there's some things that we have to sacrifice from our, our preconceived notions about our college game and our college offense and our air raid offense. And we just have to work with our skill position players. Like obviously Kenyon Drake has barely gotten targeted. Where has that gone? That was such a big part of the, the team last year. They, they just got to calibrate. Now we, we know some things that work for us, some things that don't, we're going to continue to grow through this, and hopefully they, they can iron out some of the kinks on offense. They should not be losing to a defense that is lacking in talent the way that Carolina's is. From one 
number one overall pick quarterback to another. I took a look at Joe Burrow's All-22. I watched all of his snaps in his first NFL win this past weekend. The Bengals beat the Jaguars 33-25. Burrow completed 25-36 passes at 300 yards on the dot. One touchdown, one interception, had a 92.4 quarterback rating. It was a fun watch. Uh, I really had not been able to sit down and really watch a lot of Burrow with a good amount of time to just go and replay every single throw or uh, really focus on a play when I wanted to. They went empty a lot. I didn't realize the Bengals were going empty this much. Have you watched the Bengals before this week? Like, is this because obviously going empty, going five wide, going four wide, like all that stuff, that was big for LSU. That was something that LSU did a lot. And Joe Burrow was very comfortable with it. Have they been doing that all year long? Yeah. Just going they've like. They've been going empty all year. Okay. I mean, I, this was the first time I really had a chance to take a look at it. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised with how willing they were to. Just go five wide with Joe Burrow because he, he looks very comfortable. And I think that that was a big takeaway of mine. There were some throws that he he needs to be pushing a little bit more. I, I think that at LSU, again, it was it, it, it's a little bit of, of the Dwayne Haskins thing when he was at Ohio State. His guys were so talented. And, you know, Joe Burrow playing in the SEC, I do think it was a different beast. And going through the college football playoff, he, he had to step it up. In a variety of different games, and I'm not saying that, but I felt like he was a, he was allowed to put focus more on the touch of some of the passes and less on when they arrived. He can't get away with that as much in the NFL. There were a handful of throws where I watched Burrow make, and it's just like, hey man, if you put more pace on this ball, this is a touchdown, or like this is an easier catch. And Burrow doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. You know, he admitted this at the combine, kind of jokingly, poking fun at himself. But what he is is, you know, he's got a lot of really great natural accuracy. I saw him throw those. <laughs> I'm about to call them the Josh Allen deep crossers, which is hilarious that I'm calling them Josh Allen deep crossers now. But he was throwing those deep crossers against man coverage, beautiful sure. over the shoulder, great touch, great accuracy, leading these wide receivers. He threw that a couple of times against Jacksonville. Those are beautiful, picture perfect throws. I already mentioned how he was navigating the pocket. I mean, the Jaguars were were throwing some funky formations and some funky blitzes at that offensive line, and when they you know, kind of crumbled either to the right or to the left. Burrow was just sidestepping, moving up and down, going away from the pocket, hitting throws on the run. That was great. The biggest area of concern I have for Burrow right now, I don't even know if it's concern. It's just he's got to get better at it. He he has to know that he's got to put more pace on these passes. When it comes to hitting these passes that are 15, 20, 25, especially the 20, 25 plus throws, he's really got to get that thing down there. And I don't think... He had to do that nearly as much in college football as he does in the NFL. But these DBs are catching up to his tight ends and his wide receivers very quickly. I mean, I'll just point out one play that I watched where Tyler Boyd was running. I can't tell if it was just a straight vertical or it was like a skinny post coming from the slot over the middle. And Burrow was floating it over the linebacker level, but he floated it so high that Boyd mm-hmm. got absolutely killed by the yeah, safety the that was coming about. over. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he just headhunted him. And it's like, Burrow, you've got to be better at getting the ball to your receivers with pace. 
have that same same that same kind of anticipation, but too many times in this game against Jacksonville, I saw the pace in which he delivered the ball be almost detrimental. Sometimes it was detrimental, not only to, to Tyler Boyd's ribs, but sometimes it was in the form of incompletions as well. He's got to liven up that arm a little bit more. And look, if it means almost pushing the limit of how fast you can throw a football, so be it. I know that accuracy is his calling card. And he can't allow that to really drop too much because that's what's really going to make him a great passer in this league. But the pace on the football has got to be better. He was afforded the time to really float passes to his receivers at LSU, at least more so than what he is in the NFL. And I think that we saw last Sunday, he's really starting to acclimate with like, uh, yeah, I got to get the ball there faster. And I'm hoping that he notices that because if he can, the accuracy is still great. But I did wonder about the level of velocity he was putting on his passes this past Sunday. Right. I think there was a warranted suspicion, reasonable doubt about Burrow's arm strength. And I don't doubt that he can add more velocity to his throws, but I do think that he prefers to be a touch passer who likes to drop the ball into the bucket. Right. And And you you can definitely, you could definitely tell that um, in the, in the tape that I was watching of him this, this past Sunday. And, right, the advantages of being a touch passer are clear. I mean, Burrow put some teardrops on kids, college and pro, right? And and talking about tight window throws, I mean, like, there's a limited space, and he can fit that thing in there because he is a, a uniquely, naturally accurate passer of the football. But when we talk about protecting our wide receivers from hits, like the one Boyd took, protecting the ball from being intercepted, velocity helps, yeah, you know, when you're, yeah, yeah. And, and, and if there's a trade off in accuracy, that may be warranted. That may be a fair trade off, an acceptable trade off, depending on the nature of the wide receivers you're throwing it to. How much does Burrow trust the guys he's throwing the ball to, given that they're all new to him? And with a larger wide receiver core, AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins, who's not necessarily separating that much. How confident is Burrow that he can be a little inaccurate on a high velocity throw? Sure, and and have that be completed and not challenged. Burrow, he's, he's flirting with danger though. He's flirting yeah. with danger in that category. Right. I think that uh, when you look at it anecdotally, I'm not sure how much credence this holds. But Burrow had the most prolific passing season in college football history at LSU, and we talk about the NFL playing at a different speed. Four weeks into the season, he's learning what that different speed is like. He's acclimating to the fact that it's a lot more difficult, like you said now, than it was back then. The danger for Cincinnati, in my opinion, is that if Burrow remains their best guy on offense, which their offensive line's not playing very well, obviously Boyd's good, but like they haven't really gotten a great amount of production from the wide receivers yet, whatever. Like Burrow is really taking command of that offense. Every week that his best throws and his best plays come when he does get that little touch teardrop pass just right, it's going to reinforce to him that that's how he should be playing football. And you don't want him building habits of exclusively being that sort of pop gun passer when it's important that he does acknowledge and develop more velocity on his throws to attack the NFL's tighter windows. So you don't want him developing bad habits right, for right. the sake of going four and 12. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it, it's a tricky development thing. goes back to what we talked about with Haskins. The Bengals first got the guy. They're still in the process of building the house around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that was, and that was kind of, yeah, but my big takeaway as well is it's like, 
you don't want to coach that touch and accuracy, that natural touch and accuracy out of Burrow. But without a doubt, I mean, if he wants to get to the level where he's facing the best defense in the NFL, you know, eventually climbing to playoff caliber level, what the Bengals hope to be Super Bowl level someday, he's got to put more pace on these passes. He's got to be able to preserve his wide receivers and preserve these receptions and these yards that I know he can hit. He's just got to get the ball there. It's not like it's not like I'm sitting here asking Burrow to hit a 60-yard pass deep down the field. I don't think he's got like that kind of arm strength, but it's a little bit more zip on the 20-yard passes, on the 25-yard passes. And uh, velocity and distance, I know, are very different things when it comes to arm strength, but I do think that Burrow has it in him. It's just not the the way that he used to he's used to winning right now. And so right, you're yeah, right. Yeah. I completely agree. It, it, it's, it's a matter of he is learning what NFL speed is like. We talk about that all the time. This is what it's like for Joe Burrow. He's got to deliver the ball to the places he needs to get to to a little bit faster. Still, be accurate. And like you said, you don't want to ruin him, but he's got to get it there faster. Yeah, it's a tricky balance. It always is. Uh, my final one is less of a, here's some deep analysis, and more of just a, a general appreciation for a team that bamboozled all of us, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. Uh, Matt big shout out, big yeah. shout out, Green Bay Packers. We talked a lot this summer saying that they were down to regress, and here they are mm-hmm. looking like studs. Right, so 4-0 with a thriving offense after being largely criticized for their approach in offensive drafting with the Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, Josiah DeGuara trifecta. Uh, add on top of that the Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard injuries, and this really felt like the time in which you know, we were going to know like, Oh, their wide receiver drafting really hurt them here. And then they went 20 for 20, throwing the ball to tight ends and running backs against the Atlanta Falcons, which obviously isn't the best defense on the face of the planet. I understand that, but still 20 for 20, uh, for 195 yards and four touchdowns, uh, excuse me, 241 yards and four touchdowns. So that's kind of good. Uh, how did it happen? For everything Rodgers is, you know, Rodgers telling Pat McAfee today, my down seasons were, you know, an average quarterback's career seasons, which is, you know, demonstrably untrue, but also extremely hilarious, and I love it. For all that Rodgers is, for all that he's struggled with, for all of the the discussions and the difficulties that went around with Mike McCarthy at the end of that tenure there, Rodgers has never not been an extremely smart quarterback. He's a very smart dude. Great on the hard count, wonderful pre-snap, identifies blitzes very well. And part of that intelligence is why he avoids interceptions and has so many throwaways. He's very risk-averse, and he knows when to eat it and when to extend it and attempt one of his you know hallmark tremendous downfield passes. So with an extremely smart quarterback, what LaFleur, Nate Hackett, and the offensive staff in Green Bay have done, to my eye, very simply— is just decide we're going to make defenses have to think as much as possible because Rodgers is already thinking so much faster than them that if we can continue to delay them, offense could be easy. And that's the, it is. Like the windows into which Rodgers is throwing is ridiculous. And that The first touchdown, both flat routes were open. Aaron Jones literally like shrugged as he scored. Like, where were you guys? There's two things that stand out in this regard. One, a, a tweet from Ben Fennell. Against the Falcons, the Packers were in 10 personnel with an extra offensive lineman for three snaps, 11 personnel for 21 snaps, 11 with an extra offensive lineman for another three, 12 for another three, 12 with an extra offensive lineman for one snap, 13 personnel for three snaps, 20 personnel for two snaps, 21 personnel for 23 snaps, 22 personnel for a snap, and then 31 for three snaps. 
they got a lot of players, Trev. And we, we you know, groused on the A.J. Dillon pick. And, and Josiah DeGuara was lost during the game with a, a, a torn ACL. And that really sucks because they were excited with what he was going to bring. But they're rotating Jones, Williams, Dillon, and Tyler Urban, all four of their backs, in with pretty significant snaps. Mercedes Lewis, Robbie Tanyan, who, shout out Robert Tanyan, the absolute man, Jay Sternberger, and, and Josiah DeGuara, all tight ends, all are receiving reps. And then, yeah, they're playing Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Malik Taylor at wide receiver. With this amount of versatility at tight end and running back, the personnel groupings are causing extreme mismatch challenges for defenses. So that's one. Two is the rate of pre-snap motion. The, the, the Packers are second so far this year in pre-snap motion, in, in motion at the snap, constantly throwing Tyler Irvin across the formation. They gave him the ball once a game on jet motion. And yet for the other 45 snaps in which he's flying across the formation, he's pulling underneath defenders with him. And the amount of vertical routes that it opens for a wide receiver tight end hybrid like Robert Tanyan, right? For a big wide receiver like Alan Lazard, for a good pass catching running back like Aaron Jones, they're getting explosive passing plays in the middle of the field effortlessly. And it rolls back to the amount of movement they have at the snap. They're putting two backs in the backfield in pistol. And then they've got a third running back, Irvin, who's like in the slot. And then they move him around. Like the amount of checks this causes, it, it, it makes defenses slower mentally. And Rodgers is already so brisk mentally that this is pitch and catch for Rodgers right now. And, and a defense that stops Green Bay is going to stop them by making Rodgers think. And right now, nobody's really been able to do that. He's been great. It's been, it's just been, it's want, free, man. It, it's it, free money. It looks easy for Green Bay, right. what they're doing right now. They make it look so. I was about to say it's easy. It's not easy, but they're making it look easy the way that they're scheming things up. Doesn't hurt to have one of the best quarterbacks in the game, but Rodgers is on. He's got a mean streak this year. He's focused, and I think we're seeing that. I wrote earlier this week that, hey, we can't. No, actually, I'll, I'll set it up like this. One of my Monday publishes for the Draft Network this week was I wanted to highlight, hey, I know we're all talking about Russell Wilson, but Josh Allen is having an MVP caliber season. And I wanted to point this out. And I started to write the article and I was like, look, Wilson's the front runner, but but uh, Josh Allen's number two. Josh Allen is right behind him. And the more I did research, the more I was like, oh, man, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I was yeah. just looking up his numbers and what he did on Monday night only solidifies that he's in that MVP race. And so I still think that it's Wilson at number one. I still do. But yeah, Rodgers is absolutely having an MVP kind of season. And if anybody around, you know, look, if Wilson has a couple of bad games, Rodgers is going to be right there. If Rodgers right. and, and Wilson have a couple of bad games, Josh Allen's going to be right there. And it's just a... It is a tight three-man rotation, and I know we're going to have a lot of debates. Uh, there's going to be a lot of sides. There's going to be a lot of lines in the sand drawn, but just got to sit back and enjoy some elite quarterback play because that's what I think my, uh, we are getting this year. Yeah. My, my big interesting point with Rodgers is this. He has, over his career, since his first year, 2005, he has had only three seasons in which his interception percentage has been above two. Excuse me, four seasons. Which is a ludicrous stat. No, he is it's nuts, man. Does not throw picks, and it's crazy. Over the last five years, not including this year, his interception percentage, starting with 2019 and going back, has been 0 0.7, 0 0.3, 2.5, which was the last McCarthy year. No, it was the second last McCarthy year. Uh, 1.1 and then 1.4. So just crazy in terms of avoiding interceptions. The best ever 
season ending touchdown to interception ratio belongs to, of course, Nick freaking Foles at 27 touchdowns, two interceptions in the 2014 Eagles season, 2013, uh, 27 to two. That's the best ever. I mean, I, I say that not saying that 27-2 is like we, we slouch at it. I just like, I'm shocked that Nick Foles has that record. Foles has such stupid records. Uh, surpassing Tom Brady's 2010 yeah, season. Well, you you of, hate Nick Foles, so. Yes. No, I don't. 36 touchdowns, four interception was Brady in 2010. Mm-hmm. And then Foles in 2013 was 27 touchdown passes and two interceptions. Man. So that is 13 and a half touchdowns for every interception. Through four weeks, Rodgers has 13 touchdowns. And zero interceptions. With how interception averse he is, mm-hmm. and how many windows this offense is currently opening, because the passing game is so easy for them right now, we could be looking at like thirty and one, <laughs> thirty and two. It's you know just, what I mean? Yeah. But like thirty-three and two, thirty-five and two. It could be a potentially unimpeachable record. Because like the more the passing game is open in the NFL year after year after year, the more you expect interceptions. Sure. And Rodgers right. is, is so interception averse that I think that like, if he posts a crazy number this year, it could stand for a very long time. It's fun he, to think about. He, yeah, it is. And it's, it, it's fun to watch. Like I said, it's just, we're watching some incredible quarterback play right now, right now in the NFL. Sit back, relax and enjoy it. We got a couple of watchers Wednesday points, notes, takes from you guys that we wanted to get to before we got out of here. Zach from the premium slack said, my take, is that Rondell Moore, the wide receiver from Purdue, should be the clear wide receiver one for a lot of teams. He went on to say, if you are in an offense that uses motion, jet sweeps, trickery at the core of the offense, then having Rondell Moore is going to be so much more effective than having Jamar Chase would be for your team. If you are an offense built on coaches who still think that it's 1990, then of course Chase is going to be a better prospect uh, as you would not be utilizing Moore's best assets for your team. But he said that it's like, it's like in the NFL, who would you rather have, Michael Thomas or Tyreek Hill? If I am playing in a modern-style offense, I'm taking Tyreek Hill every day of the week. Tyreek Hill kind of impactful, Rondell Moore, as a comp there. I guess I'll say it's a comp. Ben, what do you think about this take? Rondell Moore was not wide receiver one for either of us. Jamar Chase was wide receiver one mm-hmm. for both of us as we exited summer scouting. But I had more as wide receiver two. You had more as wide receiver three. What do you think about this take here? I, I I respect it. This was uh, uh Jeff, you said? Jack. This is Jack. Jack. Excuse me. Jack. No, it's Zach. Zach Rogers. Man, I'm getting my name. Zach. Up. Zach, where I'd push back on you is more can look like Tyreek Hill, body type-wise, move like Tyreek Hill. But Purdue has not used more enough as a vertical threat for you to cl- classify him in that mold, in my opinion. And that's the big bugaboo with more that's the big concern is that he is occasionally used as a true vertical threat downfield sideline route which takes release route running play strength ball tracking adjustment contested catch elevation it takes so much more than pure speed and with more right now assuming his usage remains the same for Purdue's upcoming you know eight plus one game slate against the big 10 which there's no reason to believe it changes that's going to be enough of a question mark on his evaluation that to your point, tons of motion, ton of pre-snap stuff. He's a, a true playmaker, running back, wide receiver slot, line him up everywhere, give him touches everywhere. Yes, I'm with you. It's him and Waddle in the argument for the best player in that class. But as a wide receiver, 
with a full route tree, there's enough of a question mark there that to me it's too difficult to vaunt him to wide receiver one. Jack, see now I'm getting my 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 there names is, right. We got it. We got it. We got it. We got it. Said this is specifically for Ben. He said I watched all of Davian Taylor's linebacker snaps for the Eagles, and man, is he a game changer when he is on the field. Defense has never allowed a yard when Taylor is out there. What a sleeper. I'm extremely triggered. (laughs) The Eagles took a linebacker in the third round and they have not given him a snap on defense. So you're saying that Davian Taylor has not allowed a yard. Not because he was listening to Coach Yost from Remember the Titans, but because, in fact... He has not played. The uh, I get all my snap counts from football guys, uh, and they do a really good job breaking snap counts down by position by week. But they always include every player that's active, right? So all of this to say that when you go to linebacker snap counts for the Eagles, you get, oh, TJ Edwards, 118, Nate Gary, 280, Duke Riley, 160, Alex Singleton, 26, Jonard Avery, 47, Sean Bradley, 10, David Taylor, 0. And it just hurts me to look at it. It's just so sad. The Eagle, uh, the the Eagles took a a a guy with a good special teams projection and a and a nice long term developmental arc in a year in which they had no starting linebackers. Now that they're suffering for having no starting linebackers, we're all wondering if there are any other players who maybe <laughs> could also have been good later, but we're good now. And the thing is with Taylor, it's not like it was a secret. It's not like Taylor was like, oh maybe, and then it's like, no, he needs more time. Everybody knew Taylor was a project, and the Eagles were comfortable with that. How many other linebackers were taken after Davian Taylor? The Hold big on. one for the the big one for Eagles fans is Akeem Davis Gaither, who's been pretty solid uh, so far for the the Bengals. He was the second linebacker taken after Logan Wilson, uh, and he plays like that overhang quasi edge role for them, and he's played it relatively well. Um, let's see, Davian Taylor, he's not listed as a linebacker by. Oh, he's probably an outside linebacker. Oh, or, yeah, um, they put him yeah. an outside linebacker. Yeah, so 103, right? And then Davian Taylor went off the board at 107. Or excuse me, Akeem Davis Gaither went off the board at 107. Davian yeah. Taylor was at 103. Uh, you can also get Troy Dye, Shaq Quarterman, Kamal Martin, Justin Strenad. So it's like it's not like there's anybody behind there who's been super impactful besides Davis Gaither. But at the same time. Yeah. It's you don't great. like other teams' linebacking cores are better. You know what I mean? And so that's why their players I'm playing. Yeah, but which linebackers could you have taken instead of Jalen Hurts? Hmm. Josh Uche, Zach Vaughn. Willie Gay, the GOAT. Oh, Willie Gay. Oh, <laughs> Willie Gay. Wait, wait. Oh, I, I, I didn't even see inside linebackers. Okay, shoot. So also, Michael Walker, who's playing for, for Atlanta and playing decently well for them. Oh, I like yeah. Michael Walker mm-hmm. coming out. Uh, okay, firstly, Wikipedia, stop listening by inside linebacker, linebacker, and outside linebacker. That's the yeah, most this, confusing right, thing ever. I don't difficult. need to be scrolling right now. Help us out, um, Wikipedia. Go linebacker yeah. and edge, please, for the love of God. Yeah, either way, it's, you know, they they drafted confident that they had a really good roster. Mm-hmm. And they don't. And they don't. And it looks dumb. And they don't. Uh, Grayson, he's the last guy that we're talking about. His, his name in the premium slack is Cautiously Optimistic Browns Fan. Very fitting name. He said, I wanted to ask you guys if you could get some eyes on Travis Dye for watchers of Wednesday this week. He said, I see him as a second or third rounder that will probably be taken in the fifth because of depth of the class. Travis Dye is the running back for Oregon. 
I have not watched him yet. He is a junior this year. Obviously, he has not played this season as the Pac-12 has not played. Um, he got 1,000 all-purpose yards last year. I watched some of his highlights, and the biggest takeaway for me is that he doesn't wear gloves. What? This is offensive. This is bad. What? Sir. Can't do that. How do how he, how are you at the most aesthetically pleasing university when it comes True. to football uniforms and you are not taking full advantage of all of the possible equipment combinations and colors that they have? This to me, Grayson, is an indictment <laughs> on his entire <laughs> scouting report. There's no way he can be good. This is something that I personally cannot stand. No, um, I've only seen his highlights. I haven't been able to watch him really in-depthly. That was something funny that uh, kind of was pointed out to me. But he's a guy that I will now have on my radar as the Pac-12 actually gets to play football this season. So I'll keep him on my radar. But I, I don't have any watchers of Wednesday thoughts. I'm glad that you shared yours there, talking about you like him a little bit more in this uh, running back class. But I just don't have any definitive thoughts on him right now. I mean, as a C.J. Verdell stan, I hate every snap Travis Dye gets. <laughs> Simple as that, brother. This is very fair. You know, look, when you stake your flag on prospects, you got to make sure that they're getting all of their opportunities. There we go. That is another Watchers of Wednesday episode of the Lockdown NFL Draft podcast in the books Thursday. You guys know what we do on Thursday. We preview and pick the upcoming NFL games, including the Thursday night football game, which features the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Chicago Bears. I'm very excited to get to that one and preview that as well as the other games that we're getting to this weekend. Ben, I think I'm up four games on you. I think I'm up four. I got Did a Joe game. send us a response tweet yet? Yeah, he said, I gained one game on you this week. We were pretty even. and so I I'm was having, up- I've been having a bad past couple weeks, man. Now, look, you're a quarter way through the season. You're already down four. I'm just, again, looking forward to what happened last year where I got you painted in a corner and had to listen to you <laughs> logic your way into picks at the end of the year <laughs> that you Extremely knew damn sad. well was not going to happen. Those uh, Thursday episodes are always a great time. And then, of course, we have Fan Friday coming up at the end of the week. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here. Unlocked on NFL Draft.